Hello and welcome to the Impact Alumni Podcast. I'm Paul Clifford and I'm the President and CEO of the East Carolina Alumni Association and your host today. This podcast is produced monthly and exists to provide free and convenient professional development for alumni practitioners worldwide. And today we're talking with Dale Kiger, the of Johns Hopkins University. He is a blogger on the uh, U Magazineology blog. Welcome to the show, Dale. Thank you, Paul. Dale has been the associate editor of the Johns Hopkins University Magazine Group and Johns Hopkins University Magazine since 1992. He's a 1976 graduate of the E.W. Scripps School of Journalism at Ohio University. His work has appeared in many national publications, New York Times, Boston Globe, Travel and Leisure, Business. Of particular note, though, what I found out about you, Dale, is that you are the winner of more medals for university magazine writing uh, than any other writer in the history of the K-Circle of Excellence competition. It must make uh, walking around awful difficult with all those medals. Well, uh, there was someone had a, a good joke at my expense at um, <laughs> the Case Editors Forum a couple years ago where I was the moderator of a panel discussion and the other participants, one of them, I wish I could remember his name, but I've lost him, but he was, he's a, a well-known science writer and, and book author, and he had already appeared at a main session of the conference, so everyone coming into this breakout session knew him, and presumably a lot of people knew me. The third gentleman on the panel was lesser known, and, and as I introduced each panelist, and they had a few minutes to to talk on the topic for that panel discussion, the first thing he said was that that he was the obscure guy on the panel because after the morning session, everyone knew the science writer. And then his joke at me was, and, and then you have Dale, and he sneezed in the lobby this morning in case gave him another medal. So. <laughs> that's, that is great. Well, let's jump right into our topic today, and that's alumni magazines. First, tell us a little bit about the University Magazine Group at Johns Hopkins. University Magazine Group is um, an editorial consulting, kind of an in-house editorial consulting uh, firm, for want of a better term. That's that's. There's not that many of us, so calling it a firm sounds a little pretentious. But um, and what we do is we advise other Johns Hopkins periodicals. Um, Hopkins is actually a huge institution. We encompass 10 divisions, um, and each of those divisions, almost every one of those divisions has a publication of its own, and there's all sorts of other publications that come out of the university. And we, Johns Hopkins Magazine, is the flagship publication of the university, but there are all these other uh, periodical programs and newsletters and, and things like that. So what the University Magazine Group does, um, myself, Catherine Pierre, the editor of Johns Hopkins Magazine, who directs the magazine group, is we try to provide editorial and design advice um, to any of these other publications that might want it. Excellent. Yeah, Johns Hopkins is is, uh, is an interesting institution in that it it is huge, like you said, uh, and yet highly decentralized. Um, the Very schools and colleges so. uh, almost act like independent colleges of of one another. Yes, and it's also uh, has a greater. Uh, it's more varied than most people probably realize. If people have heard of Johns Hopkins. 
um, who don't have much knowledge of it, um, chances are good it's for medicine, um, or for the hospital, um, possibly um, for lacrosse. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, I think but, lacrosse. But, you know, many people, probably including many people here in Baltimore, don't realize that Johns Hopkins University has um, the Cary Business School. It has a school of education. It has an international affairs institute in Washington. Peabody Conservatory of Music is a Johns Hopkins division. Um, the Applied Physics Laboratory, which does a lot of space work, so that um, it is it's part of the fun and the challenge with Johns Hopkins Magazine um, is writing about such a varied, uh, diverse institution that is very big and also, as you said, is significantly decentralized so that, you know, each of these divisions has a high degree of autonomy. Absolutely. I I would think that there would be great challenge in, um, because all of these divisions have their own magazines, finding something that hasn't been, that hasn't been covered, if you will, uh, for the Johns Hopkins magazine. That's less a challenge than you might think. Coordination is sometimes a challenge. We occasionally step on each other's toes. Right. But um, that happens less often than you might think. And Given the size of the institution and each of these divisions, there are so many people doing so much interesting work that there's a lot to go around so that, um, you know, we don't have too much trouble getting in each other's way. It happens now and then, um, but it's, it's not too big an issue. There's, there's really enough to go around. Well, I, I was able to track you down. Um, I, I found you through my connection to Penn State. I've been a lifelong Penn State fan. My dad's mm-hmm. uh, class of 72 engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was looking for coverage on the Sandusky scandal and yeah. was excited to, to find your blog and as it's a great resource for the alumni magazine. Before we dive into kind of the meat of what we're talking about, tell folks what they can find out, what they can find at the U Magazineology blog. U Magazineology is really a niche blog. Um, I would hope that, that lots of people could find interesting things there, but it's principally aimed at the editors and writers for universe, college and university alumni magazines. And what we try and do with it is offer observations and news and commentary on things of interest to people who work in that publishing niche. So um, I get a gazillion alumni magazines in the mail now um, and look at all of them, and I try and talk about things of interest to those of us who are working as publishing professionals in alumni magazines. So you know, redesign issues of of the relationship of the university to its home institution. Um, try and point out when there's particularly notable work. Someone's published a really great story, um, or someone, as in the case of of the Penn Stater, which is the alumni magazine for Penn State University, of this difficult situation that they had to deal with, um, with the, the, the sexual abuse scandal um, in the athletic department. 
Absolutely. You're listening to the Impact Alumni Podcast, and we're talking with Dale Kiger of the Johns Hopkins University Magazine Group. Dale, let's jump right into it. I give a presentation for CASE, uh, in which I call the 21st Century Alumni Association. And one of the characteristics that I point to of a 21st Century Alumni Association is um, for its magazine to have the courage to um, handle the dirty laundry of, of their institution in an objective way. Um, the, I think a great example of that is the latest Penn Stater uh, magazine issue uh, in which uh, editor Tina Hay uh, really takes a 360-degree look at the Jerry Sandusky sex scandal that has rocked uh, their university. Talk a little bit about um, how do alumni magazines deal with the bad news of their institutions? That really varies quite a bit from school to school. Uh, at some schools, they deal with it by ignoring it. Um, you will never see anything uh, appearing on the pages of certain alumni magazines that reflects badly in any way on the institution, or at least could be viewed as reflecting badly. I personally believe that facing up to shortcomings, mistakes, scandals, difficulties, um, does not reflect badly on the institution. In fact, the opposite, that it reflects very well and positively on the institution. Nevertheless, there are uh, any number of schools that have a different attitude. They never want anything negative uh, about the institution appearing in the magazine. There are others who view it as the opportunity to... Um, the positive way to phrase this would be present the institution's um, viewpoint or, or be the institution's um, voice um, in addressing a difficult situation. Um, the negative way to word that would be they spin it the institution's way. Right. And then there are schools, um, and I think much to their credit, Penn State is obviously uh, – has shown itself to be one. My institution, Johns Hopkins University, is one. Who, you know, they give their magazines the latitude and the the freedom for the, the staff to be magazine professionals and approach difficult issues for the institution in a professional way and present to um, their readers, which are the alumni of the institutions, um, you know, a straightforward, sober um, look at whatever the situation is to inform the alumni um, about what has transpired and what the institutional response has been, um, what happened, uh, and what thoughtful people think about that. And I think... You know, there, uh, I, I could probably, without too much difficulty, list at least half a dozen positive things that accrue from that approach. Um, but one near the top of the list would be that it's the institution saying to its alumni, we trust that you are intelligent, um, thoughtful, sophisticated, intellectual people um, who do not have illusions about the fact that uh, at any institution, now and then somebody stumbles or someone misbehaves or something bad happens and the institution has to address it. We assume you're smart enough and sophisticated enough to handle that and that actually what you would most want um, 
is uh, you know a serious, honest accounting of what happened and what happened next. Um, I find it interesting that the approach at um, some schools seems to be like they don't trust their alumni to take in and intelligently process um, unfavorable news about the school. And it fascinates me because, you know, you educated them. Right. Um, you brag all the time about what smart, sophisticated people you turn out from your school. Then when it comes time to trust them with something that's um, less than complimentary about the institution, you back off from that. Like, no, 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 they can't handle that. Absolutely. I, I think if – and we throw these words around all the time um, – we throw around lifelong relationship. We throw around, you know, be part of the East Carolina family. And yet, if you can't honestly communicate with people that you have a lifelong relationship with and that you consider part of your family, then then those words don't mean as much. Right. And, you know, look at it this way. I believe the primary purpose of any alumni magazine, no matter who publishes it, whether it's out of development communications, out of the president's office, out of a news and information office published by the Alumni Association, whoever nominally is the publisher of the magazine. The, the primary task of the magazine should be to foster and sustain the intellectual and emotional engagement of alumni with the school. That's your job. To do that, you have to be read. You can't be glanced at, perused, browsed, you can't be the kind of alumni magazine where someone gets it in the mail, doesn't even regard it as a magazine, but looks at it as another piece of mail from the school. Pages through it, turns to their decade of the alumni news to see who got promoted, who got married, or who died, right. and then chuck it into recycling. If that's how your readers are treating your magazine, then every dollar you're putting into that, you might as well just toss down the drain. And even small magazines that don't have a lot of pages, that only appear once or twice a year, um, they're still not cheap. Right. And, and any quality periodical program does cost you money. There's no getting around it to get the maximum use out of that. Um, you want to be regarded in the same way as any other magazine that is in your reader's mailbox on any given night. Because you have to win the, that initial sort. You know, when you get in the house with your mail, and there's that countertop we all have, and then there are two stacks, maybe three. There's the bill stack, right. there's the recycling stack, and the, the magazine stack. You've got to land in the magazine stack. And to do that, you have to, in every issue, be presenting your alumni with something to read, something that will pull them in and keep them in the magazine for 10, 15, 30, 40 minutes. Um, you do that by respecting their intelligence and sophistication and by acknowledging that you're in competition with any number of other magazines and the remote control. And you've got to, you've got to win that competition. And you do that by respecting these people as people who read and who know spin when they have it, who know a sales pitch when they've got it before them, and who know a credible journalistic story when they've got it, and that's what will engage them in what they want to read. 
And if you can engage those readers, then you are keeping them as part of your institutional family, and those are the people who are more likely to respond favorably um, next time you ask them for money. Absolutely. You, you talked about the three categories of, of how universities uh, handle bad news uh, through their alumni magazine. The, the one is they ignore it. Uh, the second one is that they they spin it, and then the third way is that they they handle it and they deal with it um, in a, in an objective way. But I, I would imagine that there's two categories within how universities handle it in their magazine. There's there's probably the good way and and the bad way. I think uh, we both agree um, the way Penn State has handled it uh, has been uh, outstanding. Talk about what, in your opinion makes it outstanding or makes it, uh, you know, the quote-unquote right way for Penn State to have handled it in their alumni magazine? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I think what they did with this was exemplary, and I think any institution that wants, um, in a sense, uh, a clinic on how how to do this right um, should get a hold of the, I think it's the January, February issue, the current issue of the Penn Stater, and see what they did. Um, you know, the first, the primary thing they decided to do was treat it as seriously as it was. You know, this was one of those, uh, the, the, there's no shortage of, of scandals coming out of various um American colleges and universities, you know, it just happens. Any any humor endeavor results in some of these situations. Um, and, you know, but every now and then there is one substantial enough that it really rocks the whole institution. And this was a case of that. You know, this this was, as it just grew and grew and grew, it became the kind of thing that, um is is really a big deal uh, for a school to handle. So you know the the first right decision and the fun you know the fundamental decision that Penn State and the the uh, editorial staff at the Penn Stater made was we've got to really dive into this. We can't just do a perfunctory report on what happened. Um, we can't try and and you know point out the, the turn the negatives into positives here we just have to confront the situation in all its complexity in all its moral complexity um, with the confront the questions that it raises about human nature the questions it raises about this university American universities the emphasis that American universities plays on athletics all of this stuff, the difficult social issues that we have with child abuse um, and, and institutional loyalties versus moral imperatives, all of that stuff. So their first decision was, yes, we're going to deal with it, and we're going to deal with it in a thoughtful, intelligent manner that addresses as many of the different perspectives and viewpoints as are part of this. Um, an important decision that they made early on was not to do a lot of journalism about this um, because this was a situation where there was not much left for them to do journalistically. You know, this was ex the amount of coverage of this 
good and bad in terms of its quality, um, was extraordinary. They were not going to bring news to any of their readers by the time they came out with the magazine. So, you know, they, they ran a timeline to kind of, you know, keep people in mind how this all unfolded and the significant events that were part of it. Um, they did some reporting on the outgoing president, on the incoming uh, president or interim president. I'm not sure which it is. Um, but the, the journalism that they devoted to this amounted to something like four or six pages, four or six pages in the magazine. That was it. What they did instead was the bulk of what they published uh, was a variety of essays addressing all the different dimensions um, of of the issue. So there are people writing about sexual abuse. There are people writing about, you know, the, 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 the argument about whether Joe Paterno, the football coach, the assistant coach, other people who, uh, you know, had strong suspicions of, of all these bad things that were happening, you know, should they have done more? Should they have gone to the police? Should they have pressed the university authorities more? What should people have done? They addressed that. Um, they addressed, you know, the uh, the implications of of these monster, these giant athletic programs at, at American universities. Um, and they had the courage to present a variety of viewpoints, and they had the you know editorial know-how to publish things representing those viewpoints that were all very good examples of fine writing and carefully reasoned prose so that, you know, they they held the, the situation up to the light, so to speak, and turned it every which way and presented as many angles as they could. Um, and, you know, I particularly give them great credit for publishing things like um, a former Penn State athlete who went on to play in the National Basketball Association who said, you know, yeah, the, the, the football program has gotten too big in its, in, in its influence and, and the way Penn State so wraps its identity up in athletics, particularly football. That's a pretty gutsy thing for a university like that to do. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. I thought it was particularly gutsy uh, of them. I, I agree. The John Amici article was uh, was really well done. I, I thought it was particularly gutsy. Uh, I believe it was a communications professor um, who, I guess, came out and just blatantly said, "This is not an intellectual place." This is right. He uh, noted that if you take a walk down the main street um, of of the town of State College, Pennsylvania, you will not find a bookstore. Right. 45,000 students and no bookstore in town. And, and he said, this is not an intellectual place. Uh, you listen to the conversations that students have as they're walking to class. It's not about learning. It's not about their major. It's not about, you know, a great lecture they just attended or a book they just read. It's about going to football games and it's about drinking too much. Right. Um, they also published a very good essay by, I believe, a sociology professor on the Penn State faculty addressing this issue of people coming forward and, and you know all of us saying we don't understand how the people like Joe Paterno could not have done more right. and how no one called the police. I'd have called the police. You'd have called the police. Why didn't they call the police? 
the sociology professor who has studied this says, no, you wouldn't have, probably. Out of every thousand people, maybe two or three would have stepped up to do that, and it's just something we have to confront with human nature, that institutional loyalty is a fierce and strong thing, and all of us congratulating ourselves for how we would have behaved better are probably fooling ourselves. Um, you know, that's 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 an example, I think, of a university alumni magazine really doing its job, which is continuing the engagement of its alumni readers in, in both respects, the emotional engagement because this was obviously a highly emotional, highly charged situation for Penn State alumni. Um, so it's, you know, that level of engagement, but also the intellectual engagement of saying, you know, let us point out something to you. Let us continue to broaden your horizons, deepen your thought and knowledge, and educate you by saying, stop just a second on this issue of what everyone should have done because, you know, th there's a, a very interesting dynamic at work here that turns most of us passive yeah. in these situations. And that's, you know, I, I thought it was great work. Um, I, you know, needless to say, I was really eager to see what they were going to do. Um, I, I think I say on the blog that once this situation broke, once news of the scandal broke, um, a, a subset of several hundred university magazine editors and writers, after you know the initial horror at the situation, their second thought was, oh, man, what is the Tina Hay, the editor at the Penn State, going to do with this? Right. Just like us at Alumni Relations thought, how would we handle this if it happened at our institution? Sure, sure. And I'm sure development officers all over the country were going, oh, my Lord. And probably so were football coaches and athletic directors. Absolutely. Well, the brilliant thing about the Penn Stater magazine um, and, and how they used their position within the university community, uh, what I thought was brilliant about it was – no one could really talk about the situation for, for whatever reasons, because there were lawsuits going on or because there were, um, it was human resources issues that, that were being handled. But the magazine, because it is, it has a life and yet it is, it is inanimate, could handle some of the questions that people had, uh, and, and handle this situation from a from an institutional perspective but uh what I thought was great was how they handled it but that something like that had to happen for all the healing to begin for alumni to begin to come back into the fold and that's what I think the brilliance of the magazine was is that uh it it allowed them to to air it from an, from an institutional perspective to put everything out there in the way that they did it and said you know we still are Penn State and we want you all to understand um, all of these perspectives. I agree, Paul, and I think you know they both um, addressed the emotions involved and and you know took that seriously. But they also said, "Let's also stop and think about this. Right. Um, let's you know let's." Uh, Take the emotions seriously um, and, and, and in a proper manner, but let's also try and stop, set the emotions aside for a moment, and really think about this. And listen to some people who have 
thought about it way more than we have right. in any number of respects. You know, victims of sexual abuse, people like the sociologists we're talking about who talked about, you know, how, how institutional dynamics and loyalty come into play and, and have a profound effect on how we behave if we're confronted with a similar situation. People talking about athletic departments, um, you know, they really, they treated it as the the complicated matter that it was, and assumed that the bulk of its readers would want that and would would attend to that, would take it as seriously and as in the same thoughtful manner that they have. So that um, it was, it, they really did a superb job with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great stuff. Well, Dale, we appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. Uh, I will put in the show notes a link to the U Magazineology blog. Oh, that'd so be that great. Folks can uh, go there and, and read what you had to say about the Penn Stater magazine a little more in mm-hmm. depth than we talked about it today. But thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for the opportunity, Paul. Take care. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Send us feedback and connect to the show. Visit our website at alumnipodcast.com for other episodes of the show. And send us email at paul.clifford at alumnipodcast.com. You can subscribe to the Impact Alumni Podcast on the iTunes Music Store or just visit alumnipodcast.com to subscribe. You can follow our show or become a fan on Twitter and LinkedIn. Tweet reactions to the show at at Impact Alumni or connect with other listeners in the Impact Alumni LinkedIn group. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care.